God can use anybody and anything to get our attention and bring us to a place of submission. That's one of the many lessons ahead of us today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Bring up the word submission today, and you think you've just spoken a dirty word based on the reactions alone that you're likely to see. But submission is not to be despised or dismissed, but rather embraced. It's to be like Christ, who continually submitted himself to the Father's will. Today on Abounding Grace, we will take you to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, many Christians right away think of this as a place of prayer, and it was. But Pastor Ed Taylor says it's also a place of submission. Here he is in John chapter 18. The Garden of Gethsemane is a place of submission. Notice verse 2. And Judas, now at, that, at this point, we should all be booing Judas. We've done that at every service. So next time I say, and Judas, I want you to boo him, okay? You ready? So I'm going to read it from the beginning. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, and there was a garden which he and his disciples entered, and Judas, yeah, we should boo him the betrayer, the one that turned on our Jesus. But don't forget, we learned last time we were together, there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. There's a little bit of betrayal in all of us. Self-centeredness, looking out for ourselves. So when you boo, make sure you remember yourself. You don't want that attribute in your life. You don't want to go down as a betrayer, do you? I don't. I want to go down as somebody that was loyal and someone that was faithful to the very end. And so when you think of Judas, you know, if it was a movie, we would be, it would be so fun, it would be so great, and then the lights would go down in verse 2, and Judas, boo, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. How many times in three years has Judas been with Jesus in the garden, watching him, praying with him, praying for him. This was nothing new to Judas. And yet, he doesn't come alone, notice. Then Judas, <laughs> then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, that doesn't tell us much, but let me tell you what it means. Over 600 Roman soldiers is this detachment. Judas came with six. Hundred Roman armed guard soldiers to take Jesus. What did he tell them? What did he tell them about Jesus? That they would need 600 men to come and take. Not only that, 600 men, but there's the religious leaders of the day, the officers and the chief priests and the Pharisees that are putting all this, this conspiracy together. And not only that, they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. What? Now this is taking place around the Passover. That's where they shared the last meal. Those of you that study such things, you know Passover is a full moon. A full moon means it's very bright and easy to see. You don't need lanterns and torches. You don't need 600 soldiers. What has Judas said? 
I don't know what he said because it doesn't tell us what report he gave in its entirety. But whatever he said, Jesus was misunderstood. He wasn't there to ambush anybody to come. They weren't hiding to try to jump out after him, after this, these guys. He wasn't going to fight. And, and haven't you learned that some of the greatest difficulties that you have with others have happened over misunderstandings? Someone misunderstood you. You misunderstood someone else. Maybe you believe the gossip or whatever it might be. Judas coming certainly did not tell them the truth except that I know where he's at. He's always in Gethsemane. I know where he's at. I know where to find him. I know the garden that he frequents. And here they are, 600 soldiers, lanterns, and it's just ridiculous how often we find ourselves misunderstanding the Lord Jesus Christ in our own lives. Here's Judas. He lived with him for three years ate with him for three years, listened to him, served with him. Judas is one of the guys for sure that I believe is going to stand before Jesus in the judgment seat and say, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? And Jesus will look him square in the eye and say, yeah, but I never knew you. There's no relationship. I like what commentator Warren Wiersbe writes. Let me quote him. Judas was not truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, though he belonged to the disciple band. In the garden, Judas stood with the enemy and not with Jesus' friends. When people today pretend to know and love the Lord, they are committing the sin of Judas. Let me repeat that. Those that are hypocritical, those that are pretending... When people today pretend to know and love the Lord, they are committing the sin of Judas. It is bad enough to betray Christ, but to do it with a kiss and the sign of affection is the basest treachery of all. It was born in the pit of hell. If you consider this scene and how 600 people, it's more than just about less than half this room, this side, that's how this, if every seat was for this side was with to take Jesus and his 11 disciples. Or this side, if you, I don't want to leave you guys out. Okay, this side, if, you, if, if it was, I mean, this side of the room would go into a small little garden. I mean, it, it's, Judas completely misunderstood the Lord. It was all for himself and a few bucks of which he quickly regretted. He so misunderstood Jesus. Jesus answers, notice in verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Then when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. And then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. And the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me. I have lost none. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And then Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? He submitted already. And the scene is one that is chaotic. Who are you seeking? We know in another, another gospel writer tells us that Judas went up to him and kissed him. 
to identify him in the group. And Jesus asks, who are you seeking? And he answers, notice, there's two theological things I've developed in other Bible studies, but I'm going to give them to you now. The first one is in verse 4, when Jesus, therefore, knowing all things. Circle those words, knowing all things, because that's a great way of understanding a very important doctrinal truth about Jesus, the Son of God, and that is, he knew all things. And the theological word for that is omniscient. So when you hear that word omniscient, it means he has all knowledge. None of this is a surprise to Jesus. He's God in human flesh, and he knew all things. And then secondly, he claims himself here to be God. When he says, who are you seeking? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He answers, I am. This is the Greek phrase, ego I may. And it takes us back, you can jot it down, takes us back to Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is there getting his direction from, from the Father to deliver the children of Israel from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And Moses says, who do I say is sending me? Who, who is it? And God replies to him, you tell them that I am sent you, the becoming one. He begins to describe himself in a beautiful way. Jesus is claiming here. John is claiming he had all knowledge. Jesus is claiming, and very rightly so, to be God in his deity and nature. We have developed that in other Bible studies. I encourage you to get them online. Peter in verse 10, I, we looked at him a little bit uh, deeper last time, but just the love that Peter had for his friend, for his mentor, for his rabbi, for his savior, it's commendable. It's too bad that Peter gets a bad rap all the time for his mistakes. Because I think if you, we followed you around for three years, we'd have quite a bit of mistakes to write about you too and me. A lot of highs and a lot of lows. But can you consider Peter was so loyal, so faithful, so trustworthy that at the word of Jesus, he stepped out of a boat and is recorded as walking on water. Peter. Yeah, he's the same one that is so strong like we saw last time right there saying, I will never deny you. All these guys will deny, I will never deny you. And what did Jesus have to say? Oh, not only will you deny me, but... Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. I believe that when Jesus told Peter that, it went right to his heart. He was a passionate guy. He was the kind of guy that lived with his emotions on his sleeves. And you never had to guess where Peter was, what he was thinking, what he thought about something, because he was so impetuous and he just, he was the kind of guy where, man, you knew if he was happy, you knew if he was sad, you knew if he was mad, you, you knew where he was. And to have Jesus look him in the eye in front of his other 10 friends saying, you're going to deny me worse than all the others, Peter. It's far. You, you, there is so much in you you don't know, Peter. It's going to be so bad. It's going to be so painful. I think he took that to heart. I think it pricked his emotion. I think that what we see here in verse 10 is probably an act of emotion. He acts out of emotion here. He takes out his sword, which is the smaller sword, not the bigger sword. It's smaller sword. And he goes after the high priest's servant. And what do we learn? We learn a lot of things. First of all, man, he was a great fisherman, but not a good swordsman. I think he was going after the head, and he got the ear. And he cut it right off. And yet, what did Jesus do? He's so gracious, so wonderful. He healed the guy right there. 
And I'm sure Peter appreciates that healing because there was no evidence to say, Peter tried to kill me. Say, well, show us. Where did that happen? He cut my ear off. Well, show me your ear. You know, show me the hole. It's like, no, my ear's back. Jesus put it back on. You know, and you what are you going to do in the court of law? Because it's good that Jesus healed him because Peter could have very well hung on a cross, not with a thief, taking the thief's place. The, The penalty for what he did would be crucifixion. It's good that he missed. It's good that God, that Jesus healed him there. But I think... You can jot it down. I think what we're seeing in Peter's life here is something the Bible calls zeal without knowledge. Passion not rooted in the truth. And unfortunately, that's very common. Romans chapter 10 speaks of a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Peter's passionate about helping here, but lacks the foundation of wisdom. Jesus did not need Peter's protection. Jesus did not want Peter's protection. Jesus did not ask for Peter's protection, but his emotions got the best of him. And he acts out in this passion to protect his friend. And there are many in the church today, in the church world today, that are zealous and passionate, but lack a foundation in God's word. And what happens is that they're running to and fro with things they've set her from the Lord, that they want to be from the Lord, but in reality, they're not rooted in God at all and have no basis or substance in the Word of God. And they're zealous, but they haven't matched it with knowledge. Zeal, remember, always needs to be channeled with the truth so that it doesn't hurt others. Let me bring it down to us. We're not going to be in the garden with Jesus with 600 soldiers, but we do live lives where we're surrounded by people. And we are emotional human beings. God created us with emotions. Some of you are just like Peter. You wear your emotions on your sleeve. There isn't, it's not really hard to find out if you're happy or sad or what you're feeling about. And, and we all have feelings. And feelings can be very strong and very powerful. And let me just say this. When you're ministering to someone, opening the Bible to them and helping them get through something, one of the worst things you can do is to try to talk somebody out of their feelings. That's just not a wise thing to do because we feel what we feel. I mean, if I'm sad, I'm sad. You, You coming to me and say, well, you know, you shouldn't be sad. That's not good counsel. The reality is, is I am. And the answer to the emotion is, Well, you know, in sadness, the Bible says, man, there's sadness in the evening, but joy comes in the morning. So don't worry. The Lord's going to give you joy. And and when you're dealing with someone with emotions, to try to talk them out of their emotions, it doesn't even make sense. They're feeling what they're feeling, and what they need is knowledge from God's Word to temper the emotion. And let me just say this, and I've said it before, but it's worth repeating. Emotions are real. But if you're one that typically acts out of emotion, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Because emotions are real, but they don't always tell us the truth. You can be mad about something that we shouldn't be mad at at all. And you can be sad about something that really doesn't require sorrow. It's just our emotions. They get the best of us. And they can be overwhelmingly strong. And emotions are God's gift to us. They help us in a variety of different ways. But just remember this, you can be zealous and passionate and act out of emotion, but know this, your emotions don't always tell you the truth. And when you and I act out believing a lie, sin is crouching at the door. 
and a big mistake is about to take place, just like Peter. It was a huge mistake for him to take his sword out and try to take down. What did he think? Is he going to take down? I mean, he went after a servant. What did he think about the Roman soldiers? Is he going to take down all 600 of them as well? I mean, he obviously wasn't thinking too straight. He was acting in the moment. He was acting in the emotion of the moment. And I believe, in addition to this, I believe that Peter was probably in a very serious spiritual battle, wrestling with his emotions, hearing his rabbi, his friend Jesus, tell him that he's going to deny three times and having to wrestle with the reality of, I'm not going to deny three times. What's wrong with Jesus? What's happening? We need to have him more longer on the earth. He can explain that. I mean, just wrestling. It's the battle for his life. And he gives in to the emotion and, and finds himself in a place. Well, I, I find, he finds himself in a place of absolute out of control. And maybe his actions here were zealous and emotionally driven. Because when we lose contact in that abiding relationship with Jesus, we'll often try to make up for it with zeal. When we're not abiding in the Lord, as he tells us in John 15, we try to make up, with, make up for that in activity. So you'll find someone where, you know, you've been distant from the Lord for a while. You've been disconnected and, and you want to come back. So you say, you know, I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to give more. And you're making up for it in all this activity, but never really being led by the Lord. None of it's really directed by him. It's all emotion driven. Some of you are in the fight of your life because of emotions. One side not willing to give in. One side not willing to repent. Whether things are good or not, we want to have that steady relationship where we are led by the Spirit. In Romans 8, 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We don't want to get into church. We want to be very careful that we don't get into a cycle of rededicating our lives every single week while jumping back into a worldly lifestyle seconds after leaving a church building. Where we live in cycle of condemnation and regret, that's not God's heart for you. It's not God's heart for you to be so emotionally driven, to find yourself committing some sin, and then the weight of guilt and condemnation, and then you go farther, and you commit another sin, and then the weight of guilt and condemnation, and then you go far, and before you know it, you've wandered away, but then you come to your senses, you come back, I'm going to rededicate, and then you start finding you're drifting away, and before you know it, that's your life. Sin, rededication, sin, rededication. Listen, listen, let me just clarify. If you're in a place in your life right now where rededication and commitment to Jesus Christ is needed and necessary in your life, by all means, do it. Do it now without any hesitation, not holding anything back. But listen, it's not God's heart for you to live a life like that. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Because here's the thing. You don't know, and I don't know, when that last cycle of sin will be the one that destroys you. You kind of go out thinking, well, I've rededicated before so I can do it again. And you just don't know. You're messing around with fire, man, and you're going to get burned. No, what the Bible teaches is something far different. The Bible teaches that when God forgives us, he frees us from guilt and condemnation. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, 
It says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Micah chapter 7, verse 18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. That's old covenant characteristics of God. How much more in the new covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ, where the Bible says that when you are born again, when I'm born again, that we immediately and instantly become new creations in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. That is something to rejoice with God. That's your life. That's your life. You're not, you don't have to go through, I'm a new creation, I'm an old creation. I'm a new, I got to get born again a thousand times. Listen, when you're born again, God changes you. And let me just say, I am so glad I did not meet the old you. I mean, when I was the old me. (laughs) I met the old you in many ways as you walk into the church and God changes your life. But I'm glad that you and I didn't meet when we were, well, before we were born again. It would have been disastrous. But it's not that way. You are not the old you. The Bible declares that the old you has died and you are a new creation in Christ. For those of you that realize this, you now begin to walk in the wisdom of God so that your zeal and your passion is tempered by the knowledge of God's word and confirmed by his truths so that you're not zealous without knowledge, but you're zealous with knowledge. And whatever's going on in Peter's life here, I'm very, very grateful that according to Dr. Luke, we know in Luke 22 that Jesus answered and said, permit even this, and he touched the ear and healed him. And to me, it's just a blessing to see that the last healing that Jesus performed was to help clean up a disciple's mess. And how many messes in our lives has God been so faithful to come alongside and clean up for us and restore and rescue us, even from ourselves? We'll stop right here for just a minute or two, but don't go away. Pastor Ed Taylor has more to share with us from the Gospel of John. And this is Abounding Grace. Just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web, AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. See if this sounds familiar. You come across an atheist or non-believer that has some questions about Christianity or the Bible. It's about that time you scratch your head in confusion and don't know what to say. Well, allow Ron Rhodes to help in a book called Five Minute Apologetics for Today. Now, the book is short, giving you one-page answers to common questions and objections. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. Now, you may not realize this, but we are listener-supported. And each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's work over the radio and the Internet and will be prayerfully and responsibly used. You'll be helping people all across the nation and around the world grow in their relationship with the Lord and, in some cases, come to Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. All right, let's turn back to John chapter 18 for the rest of Pastor Ed's message. Well, 
In verse 12, it says, Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Really? Did you need to tie him up? And they led him away to Annas first, who was the spiritual high priest, and he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, which the political religious, appointed political, where the, 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 the day, the time, had religion mixed with the government. So here they are. Now he's the politically appointed high priest, and there they are together um, being used to accomplish God's will. Because in verse 14, it says it was Caiaphas who gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, he only meant it to bring peace to the Roman Empire, to bring peace to Jerusalem. But in reality, even though he had no connection with God, he was speaking the truth that it was more expedient for one to die for the salvation of all. He just didn't know it. And it just reminds me, God can use anybody in our lives. God can use anything in our lives to get our attention and to bring us to a place of submission. We'll get more into that next time on Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to John chapter 18. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 